Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, Mel King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. The Annie Fry Show YouTube live chat poll of the day is sponsored by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods. That is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's us. That's right. Gotta love this American ride. Right, you need to take the time and get the full picture. Ladies, I mean, they rev my engine, but they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady. For the sake, Seth, keep your voice down. Your father's listening to the radio. I'm not This is the Annie Fry Show. Well, John, they certainly seem to be leaning in favor of the former president, President Trump, and his ability to stay on the ballot in any state that would challenge that under the 14th Amendment. Got to say, though, the first part of this case was very wonky. I know Hemmer was talking about this last hour. I did feel like I was back in a law school lecture, but it finally, towards the last third, probably, got to the things everybody gets at home, which is, uh, what is the practical impact of this? Justice Kagan was the first to bring up, do you let one state actually make a decision that ripples down to decide this for the whole country. Um, Justice Barrett followed up on that and said, essentially, if we rule for Colorado, that's what would happen here. Uh, the chief justice also looking into that and he said, listen, you got to remember, if we say that states can do this, they have the power to do this, there will be some states that will take that and say, great, we're kicking a Dem off of the ballot. Others will say, great, we're going to kick a Republican off the ballot and maybe leaving just a handful of states to decide this entire election for the entire country. Um, let me give you a little bit of what Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson had to say today about this list that's in um, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment about who would be subject to this getting kicked off the ballot if they were found guilty of insurrection. Your point is that it's that there's no ambiguity it, with, with, with having a list and not having president in it, with having a history that suggests that they were really focused on local concerns in the South, um, with this conversation where the legislators actually discussed what looked like an ambiguity. You're saying there is no ambi uh, ambiguity in Section 3? Let me take the point specifically about electors and senators, if I might, because I think that's yes. important. Presidential electors were not covered because they don't hold an office. They vote. 
Okay, so they're talking about that list. It doesn't, it includes Senator, Representative, doesn't include President or Vice President. She said if there's an ambiguity, why should we construe that against democracy? Seemed very doubtful there. And now a little bit from the Chief Justice that we talked about, what would actually practically potentially happen if they rule for Colorado? So there you have Shannon Bream on Fox News reacting uh, just here recently after the Supreme Court has been hearing that case about whether or not Donald Trump's name is going to be on the ballot in Colorado. And it's not just about Colorado, which is what if you were listening to the broadcast of um, the actual Supreme Court hearing, you understand how much this impacts the rest of the states in an electoral college based election. There are a lot of implications on how Colorado is decided, how that's going to affect any of the other states. And you heard Shannon Bream say also, you know, what about what if this results in another state going, OK, well, I, you know what? I think we're going to keep a Democrat off the ballot. I think that we heard the secretary of state in Missouri suggest that maybe there there are certain concerns that would potentially keep Joe Biden off the ballot in Missouri. And and so it goes. So Shannon Bream reacting there. We've got Hans von Spakovsky coming on the show in about 15 minutes from right now to give us his legal breakdown of what he has heard so far from the Supreme Court in the Trump name on the ballot in Colorado case. Donald Trump just spoke from Mar-a-Lago and he he talked a little bit. He was supposed to be reacting to the Supreme Court thing, but he does as Trump does. And then he took questions. Let's listen into the former president, Donald Trump, and the questions he took. The U.S. Supreme Court is said to be broadly skeptical in early reporting about the effort to try and kick you off the ballot. Having said that, though, speak to the argument, legal and otherwise, that your detractors have made leading up to the day. And it's an argument that was given voice by Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, not one. All right, I got, I got the gist. No question. Yeah, I got the gist. President Trump is practically yes. and morally responsible for provoking okay. the events of the day. He doesn't say that anymore. So let me just tell you that I heard and I watched. And the one thing I'll say is they kept saying about what I said right after the insurrection. Because I think it was an insurrection caused by Nancy Pelosi. This was an insurrection, if it was an insurrection, which there were no guns, there were no anything except for the fact that they shot Ashley Babbitt. Somebody from at least four shot Ashley Babbitt. So unnecessary, so sad, so horrible. But there were no guns, there were no anything. But if you take a look at my words, right after, you take a look at my speech from the Rose Garden, which was very shortly after, or you take a look at my, I'm only on truth now, but at that time, we were tweeting, and I was on Twitter. If you take a look at those five or six tweets, you will see very beautiful, very heartwarming statements. Go home, the police are doing their job, etc., etc. Beautiful statements. If you see my statement made in the Rose Garden, I think you have to watch that. Because today they said the words of Trump. Now, if you take a look at the words of Democrats over the last period of time, look at Schumer's statement about the Supreme Court on the steps of the Supreme Court. He sounded like a mob boss. Take a look at uh, any of them. Take a look at any. We, we put together a tape of vicious, violent statements made by Democrats. Nobody brings that up. Take a look at Maxine Waters and the vicious statements that she made. I didn't do that. I said peacefully and patriotically. The speech was called Peacefully and Patriotically. It's pe peacefully and patriotically. He said I said bad statement. It was the exact opposite. So I think you should take a look at the statements that I made uh, 
before and after, and you'll see a whole, a whole different uh, dialogue. We want to bring business back to the U.S. They're stealing our business. They're taking our business at levels that nobody's ever seen before. By doing that, we bring business back, manufacturing back to the United States, which I was doing. I took in hundreds of billions of dollars from China. No president had ever taken in 10 cents, not 10 cents. I took in hundreds of billions of dollars and jobs were coming back. I was saving steel companies. Now they are blowing it. When I see U.S. steel being bought by Japan, what a sad thing that is to me. What a sad thing that is. So we want to bring jobs back. Very simple. Thank you. I do have confidence in him. I very much do. I think he's very, he's a very good man, and I have great confidence in him. Why is Leo Kanye behaving still in the race when you're dominating in the polls? Oh, I love that question. Thank you very much. You just said it. Uh, I don't know why she continues, but let her continue. Uh, We have a big one coming up, as you know, in South Carolina, and the polls are indicating that we're. We're through the roof on that one. We're, we're leading by, I guess, 35 percent, 35 points. Uh, so I don't know. I think she hurts herself, but I think she hurts the party and in a way hurts the country. But it seems to be dying. She did poorly in Iowa. She did very poorly in uh, Iowa, actually. She came in third place. Ron DeSantis beat her, although you wouldn't know that if you listened to her speech. Uh, she did poorly in uh, New Hampshire. She did poorly no matter where she went. I, I don't know how. The results aren't in yet from the Virgin Islands, but I know she's playing it very hard. And in Nevada, she she lost to no name. She had a no name, and she lost by, I guess, 40 points. So uh, I don't know why she continues, but she's a, uh, you know, I, I don't really care if she continues. It's, uh, it's uh, I think it's bad for the party. I think it's actually bad for her, too. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I can say presidential immunity, which we'll be talking about because that will be upcoming, is very, very important for a president. If a president doesn't have immunity, he really doesn't have a presidency. Uh, he can be, uh, he can be told to do things that he would never do. He could do really bad things for our country. Presidential immunity is imperative. It's going to be very, very important. And I'd rather talk about that next week. But there is nothing more important to a presidency than immunity, because they have to be free to make decisions without saying, oh, if I do this or if I do that, as soon as I get out of office, we're going to be indicted. We're going to have trouble. And the other party will do that. I think we've seen that. They've done that. There's some very bad people. And you have an opposition party, and they will do things that are very bad. If you don't have immunity, you can be blackmailed. You can be, as a president, they'll say, if you don't do this, this, and this, we're going to indict you as soon as you leave office. You cannot allow a president to be out there without immunity. They don't have immunity. You don't have a presidency. You lose all, excuse me, you lose all, you lose all form of, of free thought and good thought. And you probably weaken the presidency to a point that 
it was never supposed to be weak, and it would be a very bad thing for our country. We'll be talking about immunity in the coming weeks. Mr. President, how confident are you that you will be treated fairly by the Supreme well, I'm a believer in our country, and I'm a believer in the Supreme Court. Uh, I listened today, and I thought our arguments were very, very strong. Uh, an argument that uh, is very important is the fact that you're leading in every race, you're leading in every state, you're leading in the country against both Republican and Democrat, and Biden. You're leading in the country by a lot. And can you take the person that's leading everywhere and say, hey, we're not going to let you run? You know, I think that's pretty tough to do, but uh, I'm leaving it up to the Supreme Court. Thank you all very much. Donald Trump speaking from Mar-a-Lago. He had a bit of a press conference set up there. And I think that the the hearings, the the Supreme Court hearings on the Colorado ballot case went a little bit longer than they anticipated them going. But he provided an opportunity to make a statement and then he took questions and really touched all over the place. It's hard for a a civilian to keep track of all of the different legal cases that Donald Trump is facing. He seems to be very astutely aware of what he is up against um, and confident, which I know comes an enormous surprise to everybody, how confident President Trump is in, in his side of the case. But. Listening to the way the questions were being posed today from the justices at the hearing, it, you know, I don't know if you can get, I don't know if you can get um, a, a lean or a vibe, so to speak, from the tenor of the question being asked by the Supreme Court justice. But it felt like if I were, if I were the, the Colorado's uh, secretary of state, I would be thinking, I don't think we're winning this one. I don't know. Hans von Spakovsky is going to be with us here in about six or seven minutes. And that's one of the questions I'm going to ask him. Can you get can you get any sort of inkling as to way this is going based on the questions that are being asked, how the questions are being asked, the consistency from justice to justice to justice? What's what can you glean and gather? And what's the timeline on the results here? One of the other things I'm going to ask him, which isn't specifically about this, but I do want to know. People bring this up, and I've heard arguments go both ways on whether or not the president and the vice president can be from the same state. There's a lot of questions around uh, Donald Trump and who he will pick for the vice president. And, you know, there there are a lot of choices that could come out of Florida. Ron DeSantis being one of them. I don't know that there's much likelihood in that, but a lot of people have said Byron Donald. I've heard people suggest Marco Rubio. A lot of the great conservative Republicans are in Florida right now. If If Donald Trump lives in Florida... And all of them are in Florida as well. Does that just scratch them off the list constitutionally? I don't know. That's why we have people like Hans on. When we come back, we'll ask him that. Also, today's YouTube live chat poll. Do you believe that we will encounter the 25th Amendment before the election? Yes or no? On the Antifry YouTube channel, go vote. We'll be right back. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. 
Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. We are here because for the first time since the War of 1812, our nation's capital came under violent assault. For the first time in history, the attack was incited by a sitting President of the United States to disrupt the peaceful transfer of presidential power. By engaging in insurrection against the Constitution, President Trump disqualified himself from public office. As we heard earlier, President Trump's main argument is that this court should create a special exemption to Section 3 that would apply to him and to him alone. He says Section 3 disqualifies all oath-breaking insurrectionists except a former president who never before held other state or federal office. There is no possible rationale for such an exemption. So there you have Colorado attorney Jason Murray and part of his statement to the court today about why Donald Trump's name should be left off the Colorado ballot. We are joined now by expert friend Hans von Spakovsky, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, to give us his reaction to the attorney there, Jason Murray, and whatever else he wants to say about the Supreme Court hearing that took place this morning. Hans, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, By the way, I was up at the court, and uh, it was a zoo up there. I mean, the security was very tight, but there were were many, many protesters up there with banners and signs, none of which seemed to have anything to do with the actual law and constitutional provision at issue. But I have to tell you, um, I thought Jason Murray's opening was over the top uh, to try to claim that what happened at the Capitol on January 6th um, was the worst thing to happen in Washington um, since the British Army invaded Washington, D.C. and burned the Capitol and the White House. That is so absurd, um, especially given the many of the protests that have occurred in the city, some of which I have seen the, the, the violent arsonists uh, during World Bank meetings when BLM was here burning, uh, causing arson, engaging violence. I mean, that is not that was an emotional argument and that does not go over well with the justices i will i will tell you that i mean he sounded like a plaintiff's lawyer are trying to appeal emotionally to a jury in an automobile accident case and i i just don't think uh that that like i said that goes over very well with the with the uh justices now i will tell you both sides got some very tough questions um but I thought Murray actually was floundering on multiple occasions. I mean, at one point, um, Justice Alito was asking him about, look, aren't we going to have a real uniformity problem? In other words, if you have all these different states coming to different conclusions as to whether someone committed insurrection or not, and therefore you're um, you're on the ballot in some states and some in others, isn't that going to cause, you know, political chaos and problems? And 
Murray just w- wouldn't admit that that was a problem uh, at, at all. And so um, Alito goes, uh, I'm not getting a lot of help from you <laughs> on, on how such problems can be can be managed. So I, I think they had a tougher time. Now, they also gave 10 minutes to uh, the Secretary of State of Colorado's lawyer. Uh, she she basically presented a case that, that in which she says, well, Secretary of State should have complete and total authority to make this decision, which I don't think is going to fly with the justices either. And if I if I had to, look, it's always tough to predict the Supreme Court, but I think it's almost certain that um, Trump is going to win this. The only real question is, what are the grounds going to be that they grant him a victory on? Because there's at least five or six different reasons why um, uh, Trump could win this case. And they may cite one of them or they may cite all of them. That's an interesting uh, perspective. I, I'm listening to Jason Murray and his opening statement, and then, of course, a lot of the punditry that reflects on this after the fact. I want to ask a pretty basic question about the predicate for all of this, which is that Donald Trump is an insurrectionist. I mean, if he right. didn't incite an insurrection, then I, uh, my understanding is that none of this, this would all be moot. There'd be nothing to discuss, at least in this case. Um what did Donald Trump do to attempt to overthrow an election? Well, in fact, that that came up. And in fact, the, the lawyer for Trump, Jonathan Mitchell, he's the former Solicitor General of Texas, um, said, look, this. Yeah, there, there was a, there was a violent protest. There was criminal trespassing, but there wasn't an insurrection. An insurrection is an organized, violent attempt to take over the government. And there was no attempt to take over the government. Um, You just can't uh, look at and see what happened on January 6th and and factually make the claim that there was an organized attempt to take over the government. That that just did not happen. And um, in fact, that was part of the problem the justices discussed was. Well, how do you define what's an insurrection and and who's going to make that decision? And that's a real problem when you have, if, if you hand over the power to 50 states to make that decision. The, the other thing that um, Murray didn't have a good answer for, this was uh, actually raised by Justice Kavanaugh, was um, he cited one of the dissenting judges in a Colorado case saying that um, this was a truncated civil proceeding. That meant that the substantive due process rights you get if you're a defendant in a criminal case, if you're being prosecuted, for example, for insurrection, that that wasn't given to Donald Trump. So, you know, how can you, in essence, in a civil case, convict him of insurrection uh, in a situation like this? He didn't have a good answer to that either. Is it possible? I mean, I know that uh, the House of Representatives impeached the president, Donald Trump, uh, for insurrection, and then the Senate did not convict him on those charges. Is there an actual criminal charge of insurrection? Could Donald Trump, could someone say, no, he is an insurrectionist and we can prove it and we're taking it to court and we're charging him with it so then he can be found guilty of insurrection and then all of these other questions follow? 
the only person, the only entity that could prosecute him for insurrection is the U.S. Department of Justice. And in fact, there was a discussion of the federal statute on that. And we have to point out that um, he has not been indicted for insurrection. Jack Smith had the opportunity to do that. You know, the special counsel, remember the one who's criminally prosecuting um, him for supposedly defrauding the United States for claiming that he'd won the election. Uh, There's no... There's no charge uh, for committing insurrection in there. And I I have to tell you, while that didn't get discussed as much as many of the other issues, I I think that actually will be a significant factor in how the justices decide this this case. Yeah, it seems it seems that we have to be in agreement on the assumption that Donald Trump is an insurrectionist for a lot of the rest of this to follow. And if, if if the possibility exists where Donald Trump could be charged by the Department of Justice for being an insurrectionist and being responsible for what took place on January 6th as an attempt to overthrow the government, it, it seems as though you would hope in America that that would be charged. He would have the ability to defend himself, and then uh, a judge or a jury of his peers would be able to make that decision f- and, and, and rule on it. Why are, why are they skipping all of that, but st- how are they able to still follow through with the things that should be downstream from the actual ruling and determination as to whether or not he truly did engage in insurrection. How are they getting away with this? Well, the lawyers, the the lawyer, again, Murray, for the voters who brought this case, and the the judges in Colorado are saying, well, it wasn't a criminal proceeding. It's just a a civil proceeding to decide um, uh, whether he should be on the ballot or not. So it doesn't have the punishment you would get in a criminal proceeding. I I just think that's wrong. That's just wrong from the get-go. And I think some of the justices um, probably agree with that. The other thing to keep in mind is there was a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion about the fact that for this part of the Constitution to even apply to Donald Trump, he would have to have previously been an officer of the United States. And there was a great deal of discussion about the fact that elected individuals are not officers of the United States. So Joe Biden is not an officer of the United States. Um, You have to be appointed. And there's prior Supreme Court precedent on this. Uh, that that term, when it's used in the Constitution, does not apply to elected individuals. So if that is true, and if the Supreme Court follows its prior precedent and comes out with that, well, then it doesn't matter whether or not he, he, he committed insurrection. You know, another thing that is always just kind of lurking in the back of my mind on all of this is we did hear the president say he gave a fiery speech on January 6th, but he also said he said peacefully and, pro, uh, and uh, patriotically to go continue on. Um, the way that January 6th ended up materializing, in my opinion, you, I'd love to know your thoughts on this, Hans, actually hindered the process that Donald Trump wanted to see play out, which, I, you know, we were about to see what the Constitution would permit for in the challenging of these slates of electors or whatever it might be. We were going to see in the House and the Senate people challenge this, and then after these people storm the Capitol, so to speak, that 
kind of went away and it didn't end up materializing the way that Donald Trump was really hoping to see, I thought, this materialize so that the actual um, in act of insurrection, the physical storming of the Capitol ended up being a hindrance to what Donald Trump was trying to see happen with those election results. Is that a correct assumption of what took place that day? Yes, and that makes you smarter than a lot of people in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> I'll you. tell you, because, because look, the elect- when Congress gets together jointly to count the Electoral College votes, and that's what was going on January 6th, the Electoral Count Act, which was passed in, uh, I think, 1887, has a process that if there is a problem with electoral votes from a particular state, if any, any member of the Senate or the House believes that you know, fraud occurred or, or the wrong results of the election uh, have been forwarded, they have the ability under that federal statute to file an objection to the counting of ballots from that state. When that happens, uh, the members of the House go back to the House, the members of the Senate go back to the Senate, and they, they debate it and decide whether or not those votes should be counted. And that is exactly what um, President Trump was trying to convince them to do. And when this the, 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 the criminal trespassing happened and people started breaking into the Capitol, they suspended they suspended that whole action, the counting, the potential evaluation of objections. And so, no, you're, you're exactly right about it. But, but you know, uh, the folks trying to get them off the ballot just discount all that. Yeah, they, absolutely. Hans von Spakovsky with us right now. I have a couple more quick questions for you before we let you go. In your estimation of how the justices were asking their questions, maybe the consistency from justice to justice, do you feel like you can... If, if you're if you're Donald Trump right now, are you feeling pretty good about the way this went today? Uh, yes. Like I said, both sides were asked tough questions, but it, it sounded to me like the justices, including including the more liberal justices, were giving the lawyer for the voters who want Trump off the ballot a much tougher time. And he seemed to have a much tougher time answering their questions and um He almost had a self-righteous attitude that I think hurt him uh, in the arguments. At one point, (laughs) uh, Chief Justice Roberts asked him about the problems that would arise from giving state authorities the the power to do this. And Murray said, oh, that's a frivolous, (laughs) that's frivolous, that concern. And Roberts did not like hearing that response. (laughs) It's like something your snotty teenager says back to you. And, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, all right, now i got to teach you a lesson. Didn't want to have to go there, but here we are. Last quick question. I don't know if this is just a simple yes or no, but as far as the vice presidential uh, slot on Donald Trump's ticket is concerned, can both the president and the vice president on that ticket be from the same state? Can they be from the same state? No, they're not supposed to be from the same state. And there's, is there an exception to be made or they would have to come from a different state? Uh, no, they have to come from a different state. Okay. Well, that 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 pairs down quite a bit. <laughs> the president might put on his <laughs> ticket. Or we might see some U-Hauls actually leaving Florida for once as opposed to going to Florida. Uh, thank you so much, Hans. <laughs> we, we love talking to you. We might be dipping back in with you quite a bit this year. Uh, just with everything that's going on, you're, you're a, a sage voice for us. And we're grateful to have you. Well, thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Of course. Bye-bye. Hans von Spakovsky, the Senior Legal Fellow, Heritage Foundation, told me I was smarter than... 
at least a portion of the people in Washington, D.C. I can go home now. Feel good about myself. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to have Wiggins in and what we're doing. What are we doing? What? Game he's, change? Well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, he's supposed to be talking about Bud Light. Okay. So and we're going to see if that's the if that's the if, case. If that's still the case. All right. We don't know. He's going to surprise us when we come in. Wiggins America in just a bit. We got Tyrus in the next hour, and Angie Zahn is going to be with us. She's going to talk to us about an opportunity that you might have to see a, a film that is in our area that is helping people who are coming home from serving in war. And the subject of the film is Trauma Comes Home. We're going to talk to her about that at 125. We'll be right back. Don't go away. It's a comeback. Bud Light looking for redemption after their ill-fated partnership with transgender influencer Dylan caused a consumer revolt which tanked the stock and beer sales. The Light now trying to do what's right to win back customers, ditch the woke, and go back to being funny and patriotic. Check out their expensive star-studded Super Bowl ad. I wish I was at that fight! He's gonna need another bicep. House part. Definitely. Let's go! Guilty. Let's go to Super Bowl 58. Now we're talking. And Trump says it's time to give Bud Light a break. That is the subject of Wiggins America today. Wiggins! Oh! Wiggins! Thank you very much. So, uh, hello, y'all. What a big day it's been. Um, so I wanted to talk a, bit about, a little bit about this because Donald Trump has, of course, come out and said that uh, people should give Anheuser-Busch a second chance after months of criticism of the company that they have faced from conservatives. Uh, he said, and I'll read his full Truth Social post here. He says, The Bud Light ad was a mistake of epic, epic proportions and for what a very big price was paid, uh, for that, <clears throat> a very big price was paid, but Anheuser-Busch is not a woke company. But I can give you plenty that are. And building a list and might just release it for the world to see. Why not? The radical left does it viciously to well-run conservative companies and people. Very nasty. But it's the way they play the game. On the other hand, Anheuser-Busch spends $700 million a year with our great farmers, employs 65,000 Americans, of which 1,500 are veterans, and is a founding corporate partner of Folds of Honor, which provides scholarships for families of fallen servicemen and women. They've raised over $30 million and given 44,000 scholarships. Anheuser-Busch is a great American brand that perhaps deserves a second is chance. Is it an American brand? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a great American brand that perhaps deserves a second chance. What do you think? Perhaps instead we should be going after those companies that are looking to destroy America. And so here we are on the other side of a very, very successful boycott, which is rare for conservatives. Um, and people are arguing over, are we through that? Has the point been made? And now is the time to say, okay, we made our point. Now you can see this is how this happens and we should move on. It, is, is it time, as Trump is saying, to make that decision, or is it like, no, we need to wait for a little bit more? Well, you say we're on the other side of a very successful boycott, and my question in general is, and with this is with any boycott, not specifically this one, but with any boycott, what makes a boycott successful? Well, judging by their stock price 
and the sustained loss that they've had since the Dylan Mulvaney stuff. That, to me, is the barometer. So just to cause pain to the company is, is the purpose of the boycott? Well, to show that there are financial implications for the choices you make in the public square. Yeah, but I, I guess what I'm getting at is is like when a parent punishes a child, they cause pain of, this, of a certain sort, be it by taking away something or grounding or whatever. The idea is to do what when a parent does that, is, is to correct behavior. I mean, are we just looking like like with boycotts, is the idea just to cause pain to the company because you don't like them anymore? Or is the idea to correct behavior? Well, it's, and, it would be to correct behavior, and I think the to reason, change the behavior. But I think the reason that we're asking this question is because we're wondering, what was the point of this? What is the point of this? And then what is good enough for us to say, ah, it's fine? Yeah, and that's that's what's interesting is that we're at this point now where it's been over half a year, so we're going on, actually it's been almost a year now because I think it was last April, where you, you look at this and you go, this has been probably the most successful conservative boycott ever and then you have I think it's a conservative boycott though okay I mean the people it, the Heinerscheid who is the exec who is in charge of this direction she didn't insult conservatives she insulted men yeah 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 and then would you say that mostly men have responded to that well who buys the beer I would think that it's the men that have responded to that. Yeah, but I don't think it. I mean, I think it's. I think it's too simple to say that this is a conservative thing. I think that there are people who are completely and totally apolitical, who have thought, you know what, I'm just going to go further down the aisle and buy this case of beer instead. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's an interesting place to be because we've just not been at this spot before where um, there has been a boycott. It's been successful. I would argue that it has. Uh, and now the the president of the United States, who who many people would be politically aligned with who have been a part of this boycott, is saying, you know what, here's the deal, though. You, you've made your point. This has actually never been a woke company. Because in the midst of this, we have seen other companies' um, boycotts been you know successful to some degree, too, with Target, for instance. Um, you've seen the rise of this kind of populist movement to boycott social things that are being pushed through companies. Um, you know, DEI is being fought back right now by both politics and by just individuals. ESG, environmental social governance, this kind of stuff in corporate boardrooms. I guess my broader question for you is, do you think that America is having conversations, maybe in boardrooms outside of, you know, just you and your buddies, but has it reached corporate America's ears that these things may not be inevitable anymore? Because there was no pushback on a lot of these initiatives for a long, long time. Have we gotten to a place where you think there is? Man, there's, that's such a can of worms to open up. I don't see how a boardroom couldn't look at what happened and say, oh boy, we need to examine this sort of thing closer because it looks like they kicked a hornet's nest and made a bunch of people mad. But the other side of that is, too, that assumes that boardrooms are like, hey, we're actually in the business of making money and this can hurt the bottom line. And some some of these people that are their advocates are not about the money. They don't care. It's about the cause. So they might look at that and say, it doesn't matter if we destroy everything as long as we get our cause out there. 
it may not matter. So I don't know. I don't know if you can say, oh, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, that's again, that's going to be on a company by company basis. Do you think that Ron DeSantis has helped specifically with the DEI stuff? I mean, he, he's got that in his crosshairs. Do you think that he has changed the conversation even nationally that maybe that stuff isn't as inevitable as it was? Because it was the, the line. I mean, every single company was doing that. Yeah, but don't you think some companies were doing that or a, a majority of companies were going after the DEI stuff because they looked at it as a possibility of making money? It's like this will help our brand because we will be seen as, quote unquote, the good guy? It, possibly, yeah. And then maybe now they're seeing that it isn't? Yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't know how much what Ron DeSantis did in Florida changed that outside of they're, they're looking at the like because what Ron DeSantis did with Disney is basically said all of these special privileges that you have, you're not getting anymore. He just rolled back special privileges. And uh, I don't know how many other like how many other governors are willing to do that with com- co- country uh, companies in their in their state. I don't know if m- enough of them have that. I don't know if DeSantis's war on that because the other area that DeSantis has gone to war on DEI was like at schools and stuff like that which were under state mm-hmm. control so he has gone to war in those areas but that doesn't affect companies or corporations either you know I think we've said before that um, that DEI and some of these these initiatives um, they they've just felt like that's well that's just what everybody does so that's what a lot of corporate rooms did and not because they were really bought into the idea, but just because that just seemed to be the way things were going. And now it's just and this I don't is, think it was reactionary. That's the I think that's the that's the big problem with all of it. I don't think that that companies were engaging in this because this is the this is the temperature of the room and we need to follow that lead and be where the people are. I think they very much so are trying to push people who are consuming their products, specifically if we're talking about Florida and Disney, the idea that they are going to worm their way into your household and force your family to think about and talk about these things that your small mind was not considering before. And they are going to present you something that will be an opportunity for you to open your mind and people push back on that and say, no, I got this, and my mind isn't closed just because I have different values or perspectives than you do doesn't mean that I have no no brain or am a bigoted, closed-minded bumpkin. I, I don't think that anybody in these DEI offices or these executive suites that were employing this were thinking, like, this is where we need to be to be with the people. I think that they were trying to push it on people, which is why there's such a rejection because they—, they they don't understand that their job is to freaking make a great movie, make a good cartoon, sell a good beer. That's your job. Not to change the way I think about some sort of very values-based cultural uh, trend or status that is out there. Like, that's not the job. I just want something good to drink. I just want something fun to watch with my family. Yeah, I think, like Brad said, there are companies that are definitely, we don't care. We don't care about the bottom line. We're more interested in pushing this. I don't know if it's companies or just people or within Or people them. within the companies. But then there are other, others who just saw, well, so many other companies doing this that we're just going to follow along with it. Either way, I think it's a huge win that we are talking about this stuff now because three, four years ago, we weren't. Tyrus is coming up next. Do not go away. Get more at 971talk.com.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, Elle King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com.